Hello, everybody, and welcome to Life Negotiations. My name is Lucine Merabi. I'm a professional negotiator. And in this show, I bring your professional negotiators, negotiation experts, to share their expertise and help you improve your daily negotiations for better agreements and more success. I'm super excited to have today's guest because she is the first female professional negotiator that I have on the show. She is a legend in terms of women empowerment, in terms of women leadership and empowering women through negotiation to get what they want and deserve. She is the co-author of Women Don't Ask, the classic in this field, and ask for it how women can use the power of negotiation to get what they really want. Without further ado, my next guest, I'm so looking forward to this, is Sarah Letcher. A big welcome, Sarah, Sarah Lashaper. I am so happy to have you on this show. And my first question is, could you please introduce yourself in your own way and then tell us why you do what you do and how you became this female icon? Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, yes, I am the co-author with a behavioral economist at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh here in the U.S. named Linda Babcock. And Linda and I wrote these two books, Women Don't Ask and Ask For It, How Women Can Use the Power of Negotiation to Get What They Really Want. And Women Don't Ask is actually the social science showing that this is actually a fact that women do not negotiate for themselves as frequently as men do. When they do negotiate, they tend not to be as confident and they tend not to ask for as much. And so we showed that this is a social fact and looked at a lot of the causes, but it wasn't really about interventions or what women could do differently. And so after it was published, a lot of women came to us and said, I know I have this problem, tell me what to do about it. And so we wrote the second book, Ask For It, which is more of a self-training primer for you know, working through and learning the skills that you need to be a good negotiator, but kind of through the lens of what women struggle with in particular. So there's a lot in it that's just basic negotiation strategy, concepts, you know, tactics, and then there's the woman piece in it. And we've had a lot of good response to it. It seems to have changed the discussion, the conversation about women and negotiation in the workplace. And so I get invited to do this sort of thing a lot. And also I do a lot of speaking and training. I teach a lot of workshops to help women do it better. As for how I got to be here, I'll tell you the shorter version, which is that I grew up in a family of four, two boys, two girls, but my father was very supportive of all of us. And one message he gave to you know, his sons and his daughters was don't take no for an answer the first three times. And that's just a really good rule of thumb. I do hear people push back and say, you know, what about no, don't you understand? Uh, but the truth is no is often a gambit or no is often based on misunderstandings about the situation or a lack of appreciation about the value a woman or a man of my brothers bring to a situation. So it's a good way to approach life. No is not necessarily final. And I also had, you know, growing up a mother who worked from the day my younger youngest sibling went to kindergarten at five, worked till she was 80. And so I had this idea that women of her generation, that their life trajectories, their choices were opening up and that I was very 
aware of that as I grew up and women were entering the workforce in much larger numbers. So really interested in women's lives and how they were changing and how women could perhaps exert more agency over their lives rather than just be subject to the rules and the expectations of society around them. And, you know, fast forward many years, Linda Babcock, my co-author, was visiting professor at the Harvard Business School, and I live in the, in the Cambridge area. And she had had this observation about her graduate students that the men would come and ask for whatever they wanted or needed to be more successful at school or after. And the women would come and say, how come you gave that to him? Or how come you allowed him to do that and not me? And she was taken aback initially. And she said, well, I didn't know you wanted to. The men came and asked and I see my role as doing whatever I can to help students be successful. So when it was within my power to give them what they were asking for, I was happy to do it. The women just didn't ask, so I didn't know you wanted it. So she's at the Harvard Business School and she meets a literary agent at a cocktail party and she's talking about this observation and how she kind of liked to write a book. And the agent was very excited about it, but Linda's an academic. She's not a, a, somebody who has the skills to write for a, a more popular audience. So asked around, got the names of some writers in the, uh, in the area who had written a lot about women in work, got, uh, got my whatever dossier, and we met and I thought, this is so much in line with everything I'm interested in. And I really liked her. And so we decided to write the books together. Wow. And thank God you did because you had so much impact on, on women and, and several generations, right? You've been doing this for a while now. If you look back, do you see progress? Are women now asking for more than before? Are they um, negotiating better than before? Do you see a real change compared to when you were doing this work and research and writing the book? I think there has been a significant amount of change among women. The book, particularly Women Don't Ask, is very well known in business circles, in academia, in whatever, scientific industry industries. And so I think women are asking more or they're at least aware that they should ask. Mm. And there has been recent research showing that women are asking maybe at comparable rates to men. It's not quite clear if that's in every type of negotiating situation, but there is research indicating women are negotiating more. What hasn't changed enough is the receptivity of organizations and managers who are male to women asking. So women may ask as much as men, but they'll get more pushback than men do. So both men and women, sadly, expect women to accept less, concede more than they, accept, uh, than they expect men to. So women themselves have gotten this message, are trying to do it more and better, but not having as much success as we would like. Interesting, interesting. So the expectation is different. Why do you think that is? Simply because historically we didn't ask? I think we're heavily socialized from the time we're very small to expect girls to be compliant and easygoing, cheerful, nice, cooperative. We don't like pushy, demanding, grabby little girls, uh, but we teach boys to be a little tough guys and go out there and, you know, fight for what they want. And so people are just more comfortable with that. Plus women themselves 
have been told, you know, wait to be recognized, wait to be invited to dance, wait to be proposed to, for, you know, for marriage. Women should wait to be recognized for their value in whatever realm that is, the social, personal realm or the professional realm. And I just want to emphasize, it's not that there are a lot of, you know, mean men out there purposefully discriminating against women. I really think they're driven a lot by subconscious biases that they're not fully aware of because there is research showing that when men and women who do not believe they have any bias against women in the workplace, when they're presented with identical work products, but with a male name or a female name, they will evaluate the man's work as superior than that of the women without realizing they're doing it. So we're all the products of our socialization and we all need to work on that. So we still have a lot of work to do. And we do have ways to go. Our daughters differently, or at least being mindful that they get the same opportunities as their brothers, like you had. And then, yeah, continue promoting the importance of negotiation from day one, from the first salary. Because as right. you've seen in your book, the massive importance of starting off at right. the rate and the incremental effect that can have that if you don't negotiate or you don't get what you deserve, the impact that that has on the years to come. Right. That, you know, so in so many industries, your raise is calculated as a percentage of what you were making the year before. So if you start lower and man starts higher, it's just going to go like this. Yeah. And it's important. It's important to start out if you can, if you know how, if you're, uh, if it's received well, negotiating and getting more. But I do want to say it's not too late if you don't do it when you're straight out of school or just starting your career. There's a lot to be gained from negotiating later on as well. Yeah, of course. And not only your salary, but everything else, right? That's everything else. Negotiation is not just about money. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think people who are not trained in negotiation at all, if we compare how men negotiate and how women negotiate, and we look at the skills it takes to be a good negotiator, be it you know, being assertive and listening skills and all the hard skills that come with it, do you think naturally men negotiate better or women? Actually, the research is pretty clear it's women, because women are more likely to listen carefully, to bring a lot of information to bear in their decision making, to try to work with the other person to figure out a solution that benefits both sides. So, you know, win-win. And men are a little more likely to go into negotiation thinking, I have to win. This is, you know, a contest. And if I get more, they get less. The pie is finite. Whereas women are more likely to ask questions and discover, actually, there are more things we could put on the table. There are other things I could do for the other side that would give them more incentive to give me what I'm asking for. There's some things, some problems I can solve for them, something that they need that they didn't know I could help them with. Men are more likely to think, I'm just gonna win and the problem with that is they may get more out of that particular negotiation but they may have uh, damaged that relationship and going forward the other negotiator may not want to deal with them in an open-handed way the other negotiator may stonewall them when it really matters they may badmouth them to other people in the organization or in the industry so that other people are distrustful and so it's really not a good long-term business strategy to go into negotiations in that really aggressive, competitive way. Yeah. Now, let me just say, when you are negotiating just about resources, so money budgets, it is 
zero sum. If you get more, they get less. And so you need to have some of those skills. You need to be aware of them, whether you're male or female, of what to do to try to get a little bit more for yourself. But still a more combative or pugnacious tone tends to be counterproductive. Yeah, especially as you said, on the long term, because it's nice to have these quick wins. But if that damages your reputation and your credibility, then the price to pay might be way right. more than that little extra that you gain by having that. Exactly. And why go in aggressively if you don't have to, right? I mean, collaborative negotiations, if the level of trust is there that you can go for a collaborative strategy, you just gain so much time, energy, money. Right, right. And in most negotiations, you have some shared goals, which is, you know, the boss wants the employee to be more productive, to be happier because happy people are more productive, to get whatever resources they need to do better work. It's not, I want to suppress your salary as much as possible. I want to, you know, have my hand on everything and control everything. You know, they're often shared goals or values that really should be considered in the conversation, in the negotiation conversation. Yeah, it's the whole negotiation conversation indeed that we need to change the whole aspect of how people view negotiations. And what would you say are the main skills that we should be developing, whether it's men or, 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 or female, doesn't matter. What are the main skills that we need to be good negotiators? Well, preparation, doing your research is critical. The more you know about what other people have gotten, whatever, you know, comparables, not just how much money they've gotten, but what kinds of opportunities, what kinds of assignments, uh, what kinds of training they've gotten, the better you can aim accurately, you know, figure out what the range is that other people have gotten and then aim, you know, towards the top. Mm-hmm. And also the more you know about the context in which you'll be making your request, there's been a huge influx of cash to your division. So there's a budget for, you know, taking some risks, trying out some innovative concepts, uh, you know, whatever, building out your division, something like that. Um, or it turns out that your boss is beleaguered, there's some political problems, and your boss, it's not a good time. That's something you can find out in your, uh, you know, your boss's hair is on fire, you go in with your request and, you know, uh, know, whatever, go away. Um, So anything that can impact your, the other negotiator's ability to listen and to perhaps you know, actually go through and give you much or all of what you want. It's important to know that beforehand. And then going in, you know, whatever you can do to be sort of calm and cheerful, that's, that's good, whatever works for you. But as I said, you know, finding out what's going on with the other side, that continues into the conversation. So asking questions is like the negotiation super skill, asking questions and listening carefully. In most cases, I think people take in about 25% of what other people say to them because they're so busy formulating their response, thinking about what's a few steps down and they don't listen carefully. And listening carefully isn't just hearing, it's registering body language, other signals that can tell you, you know, this person is with me or I'm losing their attention or they're frustrated or this particular thing I'm asking for among the four, five, six, eight things I want to ask for, they're stiffening up in response to. So maybe set that aside, talk about something that'll be easier for them to give because that gets you a little bit further towards a final agreement. Um, You know, 
really focusing on what's going on on the other side of the table, not being so preoccupied with what you planned and what you, you know, need and how important it is to you is really, really critical. And then I guess I would advise women in particular, but anybody, which is don't go in and say, I need this or I want this. Go in and talk about why giving them, giving you what you want or what you're asking for will be good for the other side. It will help your group, your boss, the division achieve their goals. Um, understand what the goals, the strategy of the company are and go and say, I can be more productive in these ways that matter to the company if you give me what I'm asking for. Mm -hmm. So talk about your value. Don't go in and say, my kid's daycare has gotten more expensive, so I need more money. That's not, that's not gonna work. Fascinating, thank you so much. So I'm gonna summarize this because this was a lot of golden nuggets. So preparation, yes. preparation, preparation, obviously, understanding the context, what's happening here really, the mm -hmm. timing, when am I gonna ask for what I want? have a calm attitude, listening carefully after you've asked some good questions and not being afraid of asking questions mm -hmm. and really being curious about what's happening on the other side, what is important to the other party and also have tact of how you bring it instead of I need this, explain why and why that is important for the other party as well and how both we would benefit from obtaining what it is that you want and by sharing, for example, your values, staying grateful to them and always respecting your reputation, as we just talked, of not seeing this as a one-off, but seeing the bigger picture and the longer picture. You got it. It seems so simple, and yet <laughs> not, right? And people even have this fear or, or negativity against negotiation. You know, when I tell people I'm a professional negotiator, the, the reaction is often, what? Yeah, but why would you do that? Or I didn't even yeah. know that's a job. And mm -hmm you actually earn money by being a negotiator. I say, yeah, it's a real job and it's a real art and it's a real science and it's, you can't just improvise being a good negotiator. And when you look at leadership trainings in companies, they have so much attention and focus on hard skills, mathematics or programming or whatever it is. And negotiation often seems as a nice to have or as something that people should naturally do. So they send people on negotiation table for negotiating millions of dollars of deals without realizing you can't just improvise, especially in critical negotiations for very high stake. You can't just improvise and be a good negotiator. Right. It takes training, it takes expertise, it takes experience to develop, and it's never finished. It's over and over and over again. And yeah, it's, and it's not just businesses that don't train their employees to be negotiators. In so many fields, in medicine, in law, in, you know, people do not get the softer skills, the career management guidance. They're terrific at the meat of their work. You know, engineers, scientists, they're great at the science. They're great at what they have to do, but they all that that will enable them to do it at the highest level, the career management stuff, they often don't get taught at all in school. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and I'm glad you mentioned the medical world because yeah. I'm training and speaking a lot for, for medical conferences, you know, be it for the rare disease of my son or in general. And we even go in and train doctors, medical doctors, in how to negotiate with their patients who refuse mm -hmm. to take the treatment, for yeah. example. And there also, you see that indeed they might be excellent doctors and they know their field specifically, but when it comes down to announcing a bad news, a bad diagnosis, uh, creating the trust with the patient that they actually care, 
um, and then negotiating when the patient tells them, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to take this or Google told me otherwise. Mm-hmm. They don't have the tools to have that conversation. It's a difficult conversation. Um, so yes, you're right. It's not only in business. It's, it's literally everywhere, everywhere That's where right. we have conversations, right. we have negotiations. And the research is clear that doctors who can do that, their patients have better outcomes. Yes. Um, that when they can listen better to the patient's concerns, they have developed those interpersonal skills to have these difficult conversations in ways that put the patient at ease, build trust, and get the patient to be able to listen in a unfiltered way to what they're trying to say. And the, their patients do better. Absolutely, because that's the only way that the, that the patient is actually going to do what you prescribe them, especially if it's a medicine with, with long and severe side effects. This mm-hmm. relationship, this trust is so important, and that's when negotiation comes in. Because how do you want to help your patient if you don't know that the patient is not taking the treatment? Or not right. or should. Yeah. A lot to be done in the medical world as well, and, and I'm trying to add value there as much as I can because a lot needs to happen because research was showing that up to 80% of patients lie to their doctors. Mm. So it's just massive what needs to be done here. All right. Now, what if we go back to women, because obviously Mm -hmm. I want to use your your expertise specifically in this Mm -hmm. field. What can women do right here, right now, to increase their chances of career growth, leadership development on the workplace? Well, as I said, do your research. Always know as much as you can about what is going on. If you feel a lot of anxiety about negotiation, if it's something you think you're not good at, which may not be true, because women tend to be very good at negotiating on behalf of other people, on behalf of their patients, on behalf of the direct reports, on behalf of their students or their clients or their bosses or whatever, their causes, their children. Women are great at it because advocacy, taking care of other people is a gender norm for women. So we have the skills. We just have trouble using them on our own behalf. So first owning that you know how to do this is great, but if you don't feel especially confident, something I recommend is take a negotiating course. If you live somewhere where there is a business school, there's probably an executive education program that offers a negotiation course often at night. And if you do this, whatever, for 13 weeks in a row, 40, whatever the you know semester is, three hours a week or whatever, you're negotiating a lot, different scenarios, different contexts, different challenges with people you don't know especially well, that you'll get better. You will learn a lot about yourself in a negotiation, what you do well, what tends to throw you, what you need to work on, but you'll also have some successes and that will build your confidence. And this isn't rocket science, it's a skill. And, you know, Competent adults can develop their skills, can polish their skills. So it's a great investment in yourself. If you can't afford that, or it's not a comfortable way for you to learn, or you don't live near a business school, you know, buy, ask for it, our second book, Shameless Self-Promotion. But we do have a training program in it, which we call the Negotiation Gym, where we help people, help women practice their skills, strengthen their negotiating muscles. And you can work through it with a friend or with a small group of women, take turns, trying things, you know, that sort of thing. There are lots of other great negotiating books out there as well. 
our book is focused particularly on the challenges women encounter, but figure out a way to polish your skills because when you know you're good at something, you're going to feel more confident going into the conversation. Yeah, there you have it, ladies. No more excuses. We can all become better negotiators. We should all become better negotiators because negotiation is a skill that serves us everywhere, at work, at home, in every conversation, in every relationship. We simply can't afford not to know how to negotiate. And let me just add to that. It's not just about, oh, I want to be a big success. I feel I have vanity about my abilities and I want to be famous. Negotiating well at work is also about your family. Because, of course, when you have more money, you can afford to support your children, get them into you know, a better living situation, better schooling, whatever. But also, if you are happier at work, you're going to be happier at home. And, you know, and vice versa. If your home life is going well, that will impact how well you're able to function at work. So negotiating is about your whole life and it is not just about you personally being successful. It's about your family and your, and your community. Mm, I love that. that. That might be the little trigger that some women need to say, you know what, I'm gonna become better at this. And many women are already very good at this. It's just, they don't realize, but they're negotiating every day with, with, with other parents, with their partners, with their children. If you have children, you know how to negotiate. So Absolutely. it's just this awareness of mm -hmm. that you're actually negotiating and we all negotiate every single day. So might and you can get better at it. I mean, if you're negotiating, say, with caregivers because you have an old parent, <clears throat> excuse me, who needs a lot of care and the services are here and there or whatever, um, sketchy, being able to negotiate well rather than going in and saying, I need this, do this for my, you know, which tends to get people to stiffen up, pull back, not want to give you what you want. Negotiating with your kid's school, if the school needs, I mean, if a child needs some special attention, special support, all of those areas, you can be more successful at getting what you want if you have the skills. Definitely. And obviously, as a special needs parent, I see that all the time, all the negotiations I have to have with the medical world and with the physiotherapist and with the school to, to, to make things work for my son, make me aware of how important this skill is. The other day, a friend of mine sent me uh, this quote, I don't know who wrote it or where that image comes from, but it said, it is so stressful to be a special need parent that I decided to become a hostage negotiator instead. <laughs> <laughs> that's great, that's fantastic. There is so much negotiation that we have with our children and the school and, 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 you know, everything that we need for them. And if you don't have children, obviously you're negotiating with your partners, with your friends. So yes, this is, I think we couldn't agree more, obviously as female negotiators, it's super important to know how to negotiate ladies. Now, Sarah, what about men? What can men do to help us in becoming in a world where women have the same opportunities where women have the same leadership roles, where women have, where we come to a world with a bit more equity? Well, if you're a father, it starts there. Raise your daughters, giving them the message that you as a father want to know what they need and want. And they also should advocate for that out in the world, in the Girl Scout troop or, you know, at the high school club, whatever it is, teach your girls that this is a valuable skill and help them learn to do it better. But also teach your sons to be more receptive to girls who negotiate, to women who negotiate. Raise them to be men who understand that when everybody succeeds, they succeed. When women are 
are effective, happy, productive, everybody, society benefits, the community benefits, the family benefits. Then once you get, uh, you know, into college uh, years, if you're a professor, a faculty member, a teacher, you also need to recognize that you are the product of your socialization and pay attention to how you're interacting with female students versus how you're interacting with male students. Don't, you know, beat yourself up. Oh, I must be whatever, a male chauvinist or, uh, you know, I'm not a good guy. Just pay attention and adjust as much as you can. Once men get into the workforce, if they're not teaching in college classes, then it becomes even more challenging because these biases run the gamut in leadership. And unfortunately, men still tend to occupy most of the top leadership roles. But also we find that a lot of the slowdown for women happens in middle management, where those middle management leaders are not paying attention to how they are responding to the men and women on their teams. And that's where women get stuck and the men keep climbing up the ladder. So signaling to women that you are open to hearing what they want and need, paying attention to your own biases, really important if you are at a more senior level, signaling to the organization that this is a priority. And it's not just a priority because you're a good guy or because you wanna be fair, but because it will be better for the bottom line. Mm -hmm. As you probably know, many people in your, uh, your viewing audience may know, women are going to onto higher education at much higher levels than men. It's almost two to one around the world. Women are getting more college degrees than men are. In many different cultures, this is true. So what that means is that women are coming to dominate the educated workforce. And so organizations that want to be successful, they want to get the best people across the board. They don't just want the best men, they want the best people. So they need to feel, figure out how to not just attract higher good women. And a lot of companies are hiring sort of 50-50 freshman classes, even though that's not actually representative since women, they're more educated women than men, but they are making a commitment to bringing in more women, but then they're not paying attention to what happens after they join the organization. And so they are not making the most of the talent that they have brought on board. They're investing in women's training, just like they're investing in men's training, but then they're not letting women do everything. They're not letting women fulfill their potential. And there's really good research showing that the more women in senior roles, the more diverse senior leadership teams are, the better it is for return on investment for those companies, the better it is for return on equity, the better it is for the bottom line. So if organizations wanna be competitive, they need to figure out how to gender balance their leadership teams and make the most of the potential of one of the primary resources of any business, which are their human resources. So pay attention. And there's one more thing I will say, which is detailed, transparent evaluation systems. Mm -hmm. Because of what I talked about, the subjective, I mean, subconscious biases that may change how men evaluate the work of women compared to the work of men. And again, subconscious biases, men are purposefully trying to discriminate. They aren't aware of them. Same is true of some women in leadership. If you have 
detailed, explicit, transparent evaluation system. So people are judged by the same criteria at every level. They're promoted based on the same, hitting the same performance targets and everybody understands what they are and applies them equitably. That right there helps women do better, helps minorities do better. And that's not just useful for you know, the company as a whole, if you make individual managers responsible for making sure the women on their team, teams, the minorities on their teams are doing as well as men and you let everybody else know, then managers start to compete with one another. My women are doing better than his women. Um, there are organizations that have quarterly reports of what everybody's, how well everybody is doing. And that's a great motivator. If your own performance targets are tied to how well your women do, you're going to get busy trying to make sure they do well. Amazing. I love that. Thank you so much, Sarah. This is all full of golden nuggets. I think this is, you know, an episode that everybody should listen to. Thank you. Um, thank you. To sum up, I mean, you've had such massive impact, obviously, on women, on, on equality, on leadership. What is the most important impact that you like to have? Obviously, you had a lot already with the two books, but... Going forward, is there one specific thing that you're like, I, this is really important to me and I want, you know, future generations to know about this? Well, for women, I guess I would like them to know they need help accurately evaluating what they're worth. When women are asked to evaluate the work of other people, men or women, they're pretty good at saying, wow, she's great at that, or wow, you know, his skills are tremendous. When it comes to evaluating their own work, we tend to undervalue how good we are. So you need external reference points. You need to think, well, if I were advising someone else, my best friend, this colleague I admire, my sister who has my skills, what would I tell her to ask for? And you're like, oh yeah, if that were whatever, Fran or you know Gabriella, I would say you should ask for X. But also I emphasized at the beginning, the research piece, you need to find out what other people are getting, asking for what is the market value of what you do and who you are. And there's a ton of research on the web that you can find in many, many websites that look at salaries at different levels with different skill sets, different accomplishments, whatever. Uh, also with a lot of regional information, because of course what you can get in New York City is different from what you could get in say Omaha, Nebraska or some somewhere else that isn't a really uh, leading urban hub in whatever your industry is. And then you want to talk to people. Talk to the people you studied with, often business school professors or you know, other people who are leaders in their field in academia. They have a lot of contacts outside of their institutions. And they can put you in touch with people who might be able to talk to you and give you some insight. You also wanna to talk to say the alumni office or the career services department at the institutions where you study because they can put you in touch with people who got educated at your institution who have landed either at the company where you wanna apply or at their competitors. And they would be happy to talk to someone who went to the same school and tell them as much as they can about the context about what they could be asking for. You know, I'm a big fan of making friends with the administrative assistants, the executive support staff, who often know a lot about what other people have asked for, what other people have gotten, men and women's special deals, special arrangements uh, people have been able to negotiate for. It's good to get those people on your side. They often have a lot of information to share. 
And I also, the biggest gossips talk to them. They often know a lot about what's going on, the context piece, whether there's political infighting or there's tension between a couple of leaders who are both sort of stakeholders in your negotiation, that sort of thing. So figure out what your value is and assume it's more than you think. Assume it's higher than you personally, you know, going on your gut can, um, can judge accurately. And then I guess I want to get the message out there that this is good for everybody. And it's not just good for quality of life. And as I said, for fairness, it's good for society. It's good for the GDP of your country. When there are more women in the workforce and they're able to perform at or near their potential, it increases you know, the GDP of their countries. There's lots of research. McKinsey has done a lot of good research on this. There's some other excellent studies. It's, um, it's good for everybody. And you probably know that women tend to invest more of their earnings back into their communities. And so it raises everybody. So mm -hmm. I'd like that message to get out to everybody. Well, that is a beautiful message. And I will definitely share it through this Thank program and, and, and I will make posts on LinkedIn. This message has to get out there. Uh, I mean, women's rights are human rights. And if we can help that specific group that we know is not always asking for what they deserve um, and help them in any way we can, we will indeed lift the entire society. Thank you so much, Sarah. So if people want to reach out to you, Besides yes. buying your book, what is the best way to reach to you, reach out to you? Well, so I have a website, which is my name, saralashever.com. And there you can message me through that. You can alert me through Twitter, uh, you know, email me if, you know, through the website that will come to me directly in email. So that's a good way if you want to, if you want to get a, a personal response from me. Wonderful. I will. Uh, write that also somewhere around this video so you can always find, find Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure having this conversation with you. I, I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours, but I will respect your time. Thank you so much for all the golden nuggets you have shared with us today. Yeah, I wish you, of course, a lot of success in everything that you're doing. You're, ma you're making a massive change for society, for the next generation of female leaders. And uh, as you said, it's from birth to death. We can do whatever we can to make this impact. And I appreciate what you do. And I thank you. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. And I just want to say I appreciate what you're doing, too. This is important. Thank you very much. Thank you for everybody who's listened to this episode. I will continue to bring fascinating negotiators and negotiation experts because as we all know, the better we negotiate, the better impact we can have, the better life we can have, the better career we can have. This is something we shouldn't underestimate. Negotiation skills are vital. Thank you and see you next time.